0: Okay, welcome then to Passing the Baton number 20. You can hear the voice of God and it's um, sort of subtitled, Unblocking the Well. So you are so welcome. You are so, so welcome. You're part of the family of God and whether you're here in person or you're listening on the CD, you are so welcome. You're welcome into the presence of the Lord. And we're going to start with a podcast by Graham Cook about the divine acceleration that is for us if we will step into it.
1: We are in a season of divine acceleration. There's a quickening spirit abroad in the earth. The Lord is redeeming time because the days we're living in are becoming progressively more wicked. Time is the currency that our lives are running on, not money. God redeems time by speeding up the process by which we are transformed. I say to you that there is a quickening spirit upon your life should you choose to accept it. What you thought would take years will take months what you thought would take months will take weeks what you thought would take weeks will take days the favour of the Lord is upon you to accelerate your development in this next 12 months the Lord will give you 5 years growth in the next 12 months but (laughs) you have to learn to run you must say yes much faster and mean it. You must stick with the process. Acceleration is a paradox. It's not always easy, but it is hugely enjoyable. I believe the Lord would say to you, this is how I want you to see the next 12 months. It's a crash course In the glory of your God. In the next 12 months as you progress, as you speed up in the spirit, you will receive an anointing to live life at a high level. I will renew you in the spirit of your mind. I will open your heart. Your eyes of your heart will be enlightened and you will see the hand of God everywhere in your life you will learn to look at your at your life through my eyes and you will see what i am seeing and your heart will be overwhelmed with joy and with laughter there will be a faith that rises up there are many quick victories that i intend to give you do not look at the next 12 months in the way that you've looked at the last 10 years i'm giving you new eyes I'm giving you a new heart. I'm giving you a new mind. You will perceive totally differently. You will believe more freely and you will think the way that I think. Because this is what I'm doing. I'm elevating your thinking to my level. You will think on a level that I think. You will behold in the spirit what I am beholding. You will understand that what I'm holding out to you, and you will take the provision of your God and spread it around in your own life. You'll come into a place of successive, easy, and quick victories. There will be some situations, though, says the Lord, when I will deliberately hold up victory, just for a while, so that your revenge on the enemy can be complete. There will be times, says the Lord, when I will allow the enemy to contend with you so that I may establish you in something deep and powerful and profound. The Father says, when you come into a situation that is resisting you, I want you to smile because the hand of your God is with you and I intend through the resistance to give you a double portion it's not about what the enemy is doing it's about what I am allowing I will allow him to come against you so that I may give you a double portion and that I may increase the anointing upon you in those days and your life will be a balance of easy victories And times when the enemy will contend. But it is on those days of contention that I have a divine increase for you. The Father says, look for increase in a time when the power seems to have slowed down. Look for the increase and stand and worship. You will know me for I will reveal myself to you and I will come to you. I will establish in you the very things that I want you to have, and you will behold the power of your God. You will start to think with a level of wisdom and intelligence you've never seen before. You'll start to see in the realm of the Spirit in a way you've never seen before. And out of your mouth will come words of faith, says the Lord. You will completely lose the ability to worry or be anxious Because I am making war on anxiety. I'm making war on panic. I'm making war on fear. You will not be subject to those things. But you will know your God. You will be strong in the Lord. And you will do exploits this next 12 months. You'll do exploits in your own life. When those things are established in you. I will lead you. I will bring you across the path of people who are victims in the area that you have just broken through on. And you will assist them. You will help them. You'll be a breakthrough anointing to them. As they break through, your anointing will go to a deeper level. So that as you give out, so the anointing in you will increase and abide and it will abound. In this way, says the Lord, in the next twelve months you will make years and years of growth you will become the man and woman you were always supposed to be and you will come into a place where nothing will overwhelm you you will come into a place where you will cease to be a foot soldier in the body of Christ you will take on the stature of a warrior like one of David's mighty men I will cause a greatness to rise up within you. Even as you come to the end of this 12 months of training, says the Lord, I will begin to show you and declare to you what your personal inheritance is, so that you may be a stakeholder in the territory of the Spirit that I choose to bestow upon you. You will come into your ministry, you will come into your anointing, you will come into your place of abundance, You'll come into your place of favor and inheritance. You'll begin to get an idea of what your assignment is. You will know who you are. You will know your identity. And you will know your inheritance. You'll begin to stand in and trade upon the favor that is present over your life. In this next 12 months, you'll see the glory of God in your own life, in your own circumstances. And I'll cause you to rise up and occupy a place of overcoming. You shall overcome yourself, and then you will no longer be your own worst enemy. When you have conquered yourself, then I will send you out on a great adventure. Nothing will overwhelm you, because I will teach you that every obstacle is indeed an opportunity, and every opposition can be laid low. That which will rise up in you in this next twelve months will be nothing less than the sovereignty and the declared majesty of your God. It is my intention, says the Father, that you would know me and that you would be strong, that you would be filled to overflowing with the goodness of God, that you would know the majesty of God, that you would have the joy of the Lord, that the power of God will overshadow you and erupt within you. You will no longer be the person that you once were, but I will turn you into a different man and a different woman. This next 12 months is for you to discover who I am for you. It's for you to come to a place of trust, a place of peace, a place of rest, and a place of faith. It's for you to discover who I am for you as your father. I intend to enjoy myself this year because during this year you will actually stop whining. You'll begin worshipping instead. I intend to enjoy myself, beloved. In this next 12 months I want to bring you into a place where your life is a joy and a delight to yourself. Where you will enjoy your life and you will be delighted with your life and you will be ecstatic about who you are becoming. I'm going to banish low self-esteem. I will do violence to self-hatred. I'll bring you into a place where you're happy and relaxed about who you are because when I look at you, I'm happy, I'm relaxed.
0: Okay, follow that. Time is our currency, he said, amongst other things. I think that's so lovely because we are embarking on a new year soon in our timescale, scale. Uh, and that is something uh, you'll be wanting to do business with the Lord as you go on during this day. Um, please feel free to get up and walk out and go and hide yourself in one of the other rooms to do business with the Lord. Don't sit there thinking, I'm filling this pool to get away with him. Um, don't sit there, don't be British and be polite just go and do that business that you need to do with him um, because that's what this day is all about so the first thing that I want to uh, share with you, I've shared this before but it's so appropriate because time is the only currency we have it really is Um, money is not as Graham would say, anyone can get money when they need it. If they're a Christian, that you can get money when you need it, God will provide it. Your problem is with time and what you do with it. So this is Michelle Quoist again. Lord, I have time. Particularly um, appropriate for this time of the year, I think. Though it doesn't seem to be so bad this year, I'm glad to say. I went out, Lord. Men were coming out, they were coming and going, Lord, walking and running. Everything was rushing, cars, lorries, the street, the whole town. Men were rushing, not to waste time. They were rushing after time, to catch up with time, to gain time. Goodbye, sir, excuse me, I'll come back. I can't wait, I haven't time. Must end this letter, but I haven't time. I'd love to help you, but I haven't time. Can't accept Having no time, can't think, can't read. I'm swamped, haven't time. I'd like to pray, but I haven't time. You understand, Lord, they simply haven't time. The child is playing and he hasn't time right now, later on. The schoolboy has his homework to do, he hasn't the time, later on. The student has his courses and so much work, he hasn't time, later on. The young married man has his new house, he has to fix it up, he hasn't time, later on. The grandparents have their children, they haven't time. Later on, well their grandchildren, rather. later on, they're ill, they have their treatments, they haven't time, later on, they're dying, they have no, too late, they have no more time. And so all men run after time, Lord. They pass through life running, hurried, jostled, overburdened, frantic. And they never get there. In spite of all their efforts, they are still short of time. Lord, you must have made a mistake in your calculations. There's a big mistake somewhere. The hours are too short. Our lives are too short. You who are beyond time, Lord, you smile to see us fighting it. You know what you're doing. You make no mistakes in your distribution of time to man. You give each one time to do what you want him to do, but we mustn't lose time, waste time, kill time, spend time. The time is a gift that you give us, but a perishable gift, a gift that doesn't keep, Lord. Lord, I have plenty of time. I have time. All the time you give me, the years of my life, the days of my years, The hours of my days, they're all mine, mine to fill quietly, calmly, but to fill completely up to the brim and offer them to you, that of their insipid water you may make a rich wine, such as you once made in Cana of Galilee. I'm not asking you today, Lord, for time to do this and then that, but your grace to do conscientiously in the time that you give me what you want me to do. If you've never thought of actually committing your time to God, it's always a good one. So, it's just thought-provoking, isn't it? I should probably provoke you more than once on my way along. On your table, you should have found a little sheet about how does God speak to us. As I say, the photocopier um, died, and so I couldn't do any more. But there there were two on each uh, table, so you should... These are just some of the few of the ways that, that God speaks to us. And as this is the um, subject for today, I thought we'd have that there. So, uh, having said that it's, pardon? I did not see that picture, the picture on there. Yes. I, I looked at it, but I hadn't seen it. No, no. Someone had a picture of a, a dove with its wings widely spread. Uh, before we started and there's a picture on the sheet of a dove with its wings widely spread. Sounds as if I ought to make that one of the wrappers on the um, CD, doesn't it? So it feels important that this meeting is spontaneous because God's spontaneous and simultaneous at the same time. He's always doing lots of things, not just one. Spontaneous and simultaneous. So it's very important that I stand back and let the Holy Spirit take complete control. And that's why I've not recorded this one in advance. This day is his, as every day is, but some more than others. He's here, because he's got stuff he wants to do. So we've gathered to let him be all, and we want to, need to learn to step back into our spirit man and hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. I was very thrilled yesterday, actually. Um, I went, I've got a thing from Graham Cook, you know, the um, message that he gives out. And it led you on to his website to see the fullness of his message. And he said, what the Spirit is saying to the churches at the moment is about the magnificence of Jesus. And I thought, thank you, Lord. I'm hearing the same thing. That's all I can get is the supremacy, the excellency, the majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ and relationship. So today we're going to learn to still our hearts and hear what's happening deep inside us. God speaks to our hearts, not our heads. He speaks to the inner man of the spirit. As Graham would say, when you asked him uh, to be your Lord and Saviour, you asked him into your heart, not your head, because he doesn't like what goes on in there. It's in your heart that he resides. And thanksgiving, praise and worship is our entry point into the presence of the Lord. It's all about making a connection with him and engaging with him. So we're going to be looking at what you're currently connecting with and whether you need to pull the plug on that and connect with something or someone else. Hearing God is totally relational, so I'm not going to give you seven steps on how to hear from God. You hear it through your relationship with him. Um, But before I start, I just want to run through some possible hindrances to hearing him, so that we get these out the way first, and then we'll know that it's none of these. And if it is any of these, then you can do some business. Apart from the obvious one, which is occult involvement, which will make distort your hearing no end. Uh, particularly if you have been to a clairvoyant or had your palm read or done any of that business in the past and it has been undealt with, that will cause your airwaves to be well and truly um, wobbly rather than nice and straight. So apart from that, the number one thing that will prevent you hearing him because he goes quiet is disobedience. Delayed obedience is, let's face it, disobedience. It's not just delayed, it's disobedience. It's, when we're in disobedience, he ceases to speak. So if he's spoken continually to you about something, it may have been going on for years and you haven't done it, just settle it now that you're going to get that thing done and you will open the channel to hear him again. It's like having your ears syringed really, out it all comes. Had a lady once, I know I've told the story before, and uh, um, massive deliverance, got that done, came back a few months later, same stuff all there. And, and I'm sitting there, I said, it feels like it's gone out the front door and coming round the back. You know? And, and again. so I said, the lord has spoken to you about that you haven't done oh well yes he told me to study his word so you haven't done it so she said no i said better go away and do it then haven't you because that is what's letting it all back in again open door disobedience then she said have you got any tapes on studying the no i haven't you go away and read it <laughs> cruel thing that I was so that's what disobedience does I spoke to someone else in the week and I said, what's the Lord saying? Oh, well, he's gone quiet at the moment because I'm not, I've not done what he's asked me to do. I thought, there's someone who knows. <laughs> I haven't done it. So he's gone quiet. So the second thing is that any sin that is unconfessed is actually unforgiven. Sin is dealt with, but on a day-to-day basis, we must keep short accounts. You know, I'm always banging on about this because our windows get dirty and we end up neither seeing him nor hearing him clearly. So don't make a labour out of it, just let's ask the Holy Spirit to show you and you can do business with him. We want to start the new year, like we did with It's a Cracker um, last year, with a clean sheet. And sin is things like falling out with your husband and not asking God's forgiveness. It's simple, basic things, shouting at the milkman or whatever. And oh, sorry, Lord, I did that. You know, kicking the cat. You know, it's it's those little things. It's not the great big things. It's a multitude of little things. Mazar says, doesn't he? Your iniquities have separated you from your God. He doesn't want that separation. The blood of Jesus is there. He's faithful and just. Enough, don't you enough, do not though. Yeah, helps so. out. unconfessed sin deal with it, ask the Lord to show you if there's anything, if there's nothing don't make a labour, but we really must get in the habit of um, being so sensitive to the Holy Spirit we don't want to grieve him um, because it's with him that we have to do as you will find out as we go on this day number three will be attitude sins am I angry or resentful with God or with anyone else Just access your own heart right now and have a little look and be honest with yourself. Am I in unforgiveness anywhere? Am I disappointed with God himself? Which is an easy thing to be because we don't understand. He's not standing there wagging his finger. He wants you to understand who he is, how he likes to do things. And number four, are there any relationships where you need to say sorry to someone? Or make restitution in some way for the fruit of the spirit malfunctioning on that particular day. It's one of our sayings in our house. My fruit of the spirit just malfunctioned. I had a lovely card someone sent us once with a penguin on the front with this basket of fruit, bananas and pears and apples. And and on the inside when you opened it up it said, I'm sorry, my fruit of the spirit malfunctioned. Okay, well, having got there, or you're busy getting it, um, we can go forward. So, time is the only commodity we have. And a new year is fast bearing down on us, and all I can hear the Lord shouting in my spirit is one word uh, relationship. And I need to say at the outset that God is relational. You can't hold Him at arm's length, He won't let you. Uh, that when I was a young Christian, someone gave me a, a postcard, and Carol's recently given it to me again, the same postcard, because I loved it so much I lost the run of it. It's this little monk, and there are four little pictures of him, and the, the, four, the one furthest away, his mouth open, he's shouting loud, but, and then he's right close to um, little pink cheeks, and it says, The nearer I get to Jesus, the left I have to shout. <laughs> So hearing is about connecting with him through the indwelling Holy Spirit, no shortcut. And he's desperate to have an intimate relationship with his people, for them to know him as he really, really is. He created us to have a close relationship with him. And even after the fall, Adam and Eve still heard his voice. In Genesis 3, 8 to 10, it says this, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Adam continued hearing his voice after his rebellion in the garden, but he mistrusted God's motives and was afraid of him. Many of us relate to God the Father in exactly the same way today, with fear, apprehension, and distrust. But Jesus said in John ten twenty seven, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And he also said, I think it's John 14, 9, if you've seen me talking to Philip, you've seen the Father. As I waited on him for the agenda for next year, I found that maybe the first four or even five teachings will revolve around our relationship with him. He wants us to understand where he's placed us in Christ and all that that means. We can say it, but it's one thing to say it and it's another thing to understand it and to live from that place he wants us to know that so he sent his Holy Spirit to indwell us and what that means Christ in you the hope of glory Colossians one twenty-seven. and the New King James Version says to, to them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles which is Christ in you the hope of glory so just as this year The starting theme was submission to his sovereignty. So this coming year starts with intimacy in our relationship with him. So January finds us looking at the issue of spiritual warfare, part three, all relational. February, what's a faith? What do we mean when we talk about believing God? This is a real buzzword among Christians. I'm believing for this, or I'm in faith for that. What are we talking about? What do we mean? I've subtitled it Disappointment with God, because that's what happens when we lack relationship and our prayers are not answered as we think they should be. We get disappointed. So March sees the title, I have called you friends. What exactly does it mean to be a friend of God and what are the implications of that? April finds us with another session on spiritual warfare. God told me there are three more coming up this year. As we explore the majesty, supremacy and excellency of the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And in May we'll be looking at what it means to be in Christ. If we don't fully understand, as I said, we'll live our lives in the wrong place. Never coming into the fullness that Jesus won for us on the cross. June and we'll be looking at enjoying the journey. We think Concord, he thinks Camel. We've got to adjust ourselves uh, to how he wants to go along. Uh, we've got to reconcile ourselves to his ways and it's all about you, Jesus. We as a people, his people, must come into full realization of the fact that it's all about him and our amazing eternal destiny as the bride of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We are the eternal companion of a glorious King. But today I want to examine why we find it difficult sometimes to hear the voice of our beloved and move us into a place where in this coming year we will walk with him in intimacy and joy where we develop expectancy in our relationship with him. As I said before, I'm totally expectant. He's going to do great things here today in your lives. I expect to see the miraculous every day. As Graham says, it's normal. We should live miraculous lives. That's our inheritance. People out there will say, well, how did that happen? We will say, well, it's normal. Come in and have some. How would it feel to wake up every morning with anticipation of the excitement of watching him work and wondering what he was going to do today. Slight mindset change, perhaps. The good is the enemy of the best. Dullness is our number one enemy, and monotony is number two. And they're both rooted in distraction. In Luke 10, 38 to 42, we've got this familiar story of Mary and Martha. And they are an example of worship and service. I'll Just read the scripture. You are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed and Mary has chosen that better part, which will not be taken away from her. Martha, Martha, you are covered about with many things, but Mary has chosen the better part. Familiar story, Mary and Martha and we laugh at it, but I think sometimes we miss what Jesus is really saying here. There was nothing wrong with what Martha was doing, it was good. It was just inappropriate. When Jesus was there, and when he is there, the appropriate thing would be to be with him, not running around and seeing to everything and everyone else. It's apparent from the text that Mary had been with Martha, but sensing that enough was done, she left her sister, and went to sit at the feet of Jesus, thus choosing the better part. The good is the enemy of the best indeed. Jesus stopped at Bethany one day, and Martha bustled to fix his lunch and make him comfortable. She chose to minister to his humanity. Martha would feed him. Mary stilled herself in worship before him. She chose to relate to his divinity and feed on him. Martha complains, Mary is not working, rebuke her, Lord, correct her, she's got it wrong. Instead of correcting Mary, Jesus commends her. Mary has chosen the better part, and it will not be taken away from her. Martha's life was cumbered about. She had many distractions, she was confused by many self-loves. Convinced of her own abilities, probably lived in her head, she marched in her self-sufficiency. Mary was focused. Her attention honed and distilled to the things she considered paramount, the object of her love, Jesus. She rested in her insufficiency and she delighted in her inability. She couldn't work things out and she knew it. She didn't choose because she knew to choose, she chose because of her need. She was totally aware of her own poverty. She required him as a supreme necessity. Her soul recognised he was her existence. Her heart believed he was her sustenance. Her mind knew he was her reality. He was enough. To be with him was sufficient. Mary let him fill her. Martha filled her emptiness with herself. We're all made up of both Mary and Martha. There are things, tasks, jobs and chores we must all do. I find it amazing. I generate my own stuff. I had so much to do this week. I've, I had to make a list. I am still only halfway through it. It's incredible. I should be not doing anything much, but I've got this queue of things that had to be prioritized. Absolutely incredible. But what if your daily tasks were done in the companionship, in the bridal partnership of walking with Jesus and the awareness of the Holy Spirit indwelling you all the time? How would that feel? To just be in such communication and communion with him that he could do a mid-course correction any time he liked. He's already done things here with me this morning where I've made them and just gone because it's no do that, now do that, now ask them this, now get them to do that. <coughs> How would it feel? To be in such communion with him through the Holy Spirit that you never lost touch and you were always available to him, he could help himself to your life any time he wished. And you you could always call on his wisdom in any situation and your life would be filled with His wisdom, His rest, His grace, His peace, His love. What if His life could be lived through you in such a way that the greater works that He promised we would do were manifested through you? How would that look? When I was a young Christian, God asked me when I was still living at Manor Falstall actually. Joyce was there the night this happened though. I don't think I shared it with her. He said, would you like a ministry like Smith Wigglesworth and Kathleen Coleman? Well, in my little ignorance, I said, yeah, thinking that'd happen tomorrow, (laughs) 25 years on maybe, possibly, possibly. Going to start happening? I don't know. Maybe a false prophet. But I'm up for it, stepping into it. I'm declaring it. Like Graham with his books, you know, being a a publisher, you've got to start saying you're going to be this thing. If God's called you into it, you have to start declaring. Because you're then coming into alignment with with His word over your life. You don't just sit there and wait for it to happen, you start stepping into it what he said you are going to be and do. So what would it look like to become accustomed to the miraculous in your life, to expect answer to prayer, to live in the heart of God each day? Just something to think about there. Just imagine, every time you prayed a prayer, it got answered. With Joyce and I, with the financial crisis that has just come upon the country, we sat there, and I could say we were twiddling our thumbs really, not concerned about it, because it wasn't our sphere. And one evening I said to hear, I think we ought to find out if we should pray about this, a little bit late in the day. Um, and so we both prayed together, and we both got the same word, just one, stabilise. So. We started to pray, Lord, would you stabilise the economy? That's no great lengthy prayers. Straight in with what he wanted. My son, you know who's a financier, came on the phone the next day. And I said, uh, how's it going, dear? Oh, you know, I mean, it's all mad. Everything's got this meltdown, Mum. I said, well, I think it's going to stabilise by the end of the day, dear. Silent. I said, and I'm getting a picture too, dear, at the moment. I said, of building's absolutely raised to the ground. I said, but amongst those buildings are, are shining nuggets, diamonds, and you are going round and you are picking up these huge... You're looking at something, you thinking, no, it's not big enough. There's a big one over there. Okay, took that on board. Rang it at 20 past five that evening. Markets stabilised today, Mum. Ah. Oh. And you know what you said about those nuggets, mm-hmm. well we've picked up a few today, mm-hmm. God is interested in the economy of the country, you just got to get there so you hear what he's saying and praying to, it. and it's not huge lengthy prayers, I mean we can, mm-hmm. done it. Martha Kilpatrick, in her book Adorations, says this about Martha. In God's family, flesh become workers and spirit become worshippers. Flesh is Mar- Martha's vain delusion. I know it, I can do it. Spirit is Mary's instinctive reality. I don't know it, I can't do it. Oh God. Mary and Martha represent The age-old conflict of flesh versus spirit. Before we're born again, we are totally unaware, usually, of any internal conflict between our soul and our spirit. But once the Holy Spirit gives life to our human spirit, and we're born again from above, the conflict starts. The soul which is earth-bound wants to do one thing, and the spirit that's heaven-bound desires something else. Your soul is always cumbered about with many things. Your spirit is in a constant state of adoration of Jesus. Flesh and spirit are at war. There are no longer two lives to be lived but one. His, through you. Both cannot rule and they cannot coexist. They are incompatible. One or other must be given the mastery. We get to choose who we will serve, our soul or our spirit, Mary or Martha. In Genesis, we see that Cain brought God an offering of the sweat of his brow, earthly, and it was unacceptable. Abel brought an offering of the flock of the field in accordance with God's instruction, spiritual. Cain was furious, rose up against Abel and slew him. God rejected the offering of the work of Cain's hands and the labor of the fields. Sweaty effort, is not interested in our vain attempts to do it ourselves and get the credit for it. Abel watched the flock and in due time offered one. He gave back to God what God himself had given him. Worker or worshipper, you get to choose. Age old battle, Martha, Mary. Do not be distracted. Distractions are many and varied. You may find yourself distracted by your need to be needed and subtly get satisfaction and feel fulfilled by featuring in someone else's life so you fill your day with helping others. We love to feel indispensable and without knowing it we're using other people's problems to satisfy that deep need to be recognised, to be noticed, to be needed. Nothing wrong with any of that. You're just filling it by the wrong thing. Someone spoke to me in the week, she'd had a dream. And in this dream, she had committed adultery with her first husband, something she said, I would never do, I would never never do that. When she prayed about it, the Lord said to her, you are still getting your deepest needs met in something other than me. <laughs> he won't let you get away with it, brilliant. Or you might be distracted by your thought life. I don't know what it's like in your head, I only know what it's like living in mine. Having imaginary conversations with people and writing scenarios where you're able to speak out uh, what you wanted to say, particularly if you are someone who finds it difficult to speak out, you might rehearse these things in your mind and maybe never even speak them, but as far as you're concerned, you've said them. Distraction. Another distraction, and this is in the church, is that of personalities. A charismatic preacher may get everyone's attention, but he may operate to the detriment of integrity. God will not have us follow people no matter how anointed they may appear. The flesh craves the sensational and the desire to follow only that which appeals to our senses will rob us from hearing and following the Lord. Because hearing the Lord sometimes is difficult, many of us become frustrated and substitute our own plans rather than waiting on the Lord. If he doesn't answer initially, he will eventually. His delay may simply be his stretching your faith and your patience. And you learn to know whether it's a companionable silence, like he just ain't speaking right now, or if there's something else in there. As you walk with the Holy Spirit, you learn, Joyce and I were praying about something yesterday, and as we came into prayer, the Holy Spirit said, wrong prayer. Okay, what should we pray, what should we pray and then? <laughs> Thy will be done, and leave it, <laughs> was the answer. <laughs> so we just prayed. Thy will be done, Lord, and we'll leave it. That was an easy one. But sometimes, I don't know whether you've experienced it, that there's a companionable silence from the Lord when you're banging on the door and asking about something that he's already got in hand, he's just not about to tell you. And, but sometimes um, there is a don't go there type of silence. You know, don't want you going there. So you learn uh, the difference of walking with him. Because that all comes into the fear of the Lord and the awe and the reverent respect of who he is. We'll get to that in a minute. We must always remember that he initiates, we respond. He doesn't need our good ideas that are not God ideas. I did something and I said to him, I think that was a good idea, Lord, not a God idea, that one. You know, you get to know. As if we commune with him, he'll tell us what he wants to do and where he wants us to go. And Pilgrim Hall for me was as a classic. And coming down the stairs, rejoicing in the fact that the website's up and running and I can sit back for a moment and think my task is almost done. And he said, I want you to book Pilgrim Hall. Ha-ha! Pushed me right out the boat. So our part is to position ourselves to hear, not to approach him with our agenda. This is where the battle of the flesh versus the spirit really takes hold. Try in that thing. There are a multitude of distractions, not the least of which is taking ourselves too seriously. And one thing I need to address, because this is something which constantly crops up amongst Christians old and new, are the twins of guilt and condemnation. There is now therefore no judgment or condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but there is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And this is where we mistake the one for the other. When the Holy Spirit convicts, it's sweet. He always shows you what you need to do. When the enemy points the finger, he accuses. And that's a simple way to distinguish who is doing what to whom. If it's an accusation, it is not God. Guilt is not an enemy, it can be a friend, because if it's coming from God, he's saying, I just want to draw your attention to this, should you be doing that, saying that, going there, whatever. And it leads you to repentance, which is changing your mind. And the other thing is that you don't have to work anything up to feel spiritual. Steve Sampson's book, you know, You Can't Talk to Me Today, Lord. I don't feel, oh, You Can't Use Me Today, Lord. I don't feel spiritual. (laughs) Absolutely brilliant. It's funny how things, what goes around comes around. Those things have come back up again, haven't they, Steve Sampson? stuff. It's one of the enemy's lies, you know, nobody else thinks things like you do, you know, you've got a foul mind. Nobody else has those evil thoughts. That's just one of his tricks to make you feel constantly unworthy, useless, and the only one with a problem because after all, you couldn't share it with anyone because it's too awful. So he closes you right down. Remember, it's one of his tricks and it's a distraction. The blood of Jesus has done everything, everything. Distractions are traitors. They have the appeal of importance and significance, but they stop us from enjoying the Lord and spending time with him and a hearing from him. God is taking us on a journey into glory. and This begins when we allow the Holy Spirit to train us to sit in the presence of God. You know Graham and his little dog. We've all heard Graham's little dog story, have you? Yes? No? Dog story? Time for dog story. Saw one this morning, didn't we? His wife got this dog, little white thing, he said you couldn't tell which way it was going, it looked the same both ends, so you couldn't tell where it was going and it bounced everywhere and often it would get out of their house where they lived at that time and be found in the field down the road, riding on the back of the horses, just riding around the fields, standing on these horses from a circus and he determined he was going to train this thing. So he took weeks pushing the back end down saying, sit, sit, until finally it would sit. But as soon as he got up walked away, it followed him, so that was no good. So then the next thing is sit, stay, 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 got it. So he got this thing to sit and to stay. So he's abroad in the Philippines or somewhere, warfare absolutely terrible, he's going bananas, beseeching the Lord, crying as loud as he could to the Lord, just help me Lord, help me, say something, you know, break in here, I don't know what to do, I'm this, I'm that, I'm the next thing, (gasps) stops to draw breath, and in his spirit he is, sit, sit, stay, stay. point taken. So we allow the Holy Spirit to train us to sit in the presence of God, to train us to behold God, because when you behold Jesus, you are transformed into his image. So he's training us, the Holy Spirit is training us to behold God, because when you behold Jesus, you are transformed into his image. Whatever you look at, you will become like. Have you ever seen someone look like their dog? (laughs) We all say, horsey people look horsey, don't we? Hope there's no horsey people here. There is something amazing about the presence of God. When you get into his presence, when he touches you, something happens on the inside and change begins to take place. We need to get back to the heartbeat of God. We're nothing unless he touches us nothing unless he speaks to us nothing unless he initiates something in our lives vulnerability and inability are my two favorite words he's all i had a prophecy down at uh, southampton some years ago and the man just laughed he said god's just going to make you so vulnerable he's just kept on with vulnerable 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 I thought, I don't like the sound of that. But of course, vulnerable is the opposite of insecure. I'm not insecure, but I'm vulnerable. It's totally different. It's wonderful to be vulnerable and unable. It's absolutely brilliant. And there's a delight in God's heart over you that he wants you to experience for yourself. He will not have a vicarious relationship with you. People used to come to see me and I'd say to them, He doesn't like a three-cornered relationship. You're not having a relationship with him through me. He doesn't like that. So, beloved, do not be distracted from your journey into the heart of God. The moment you lose your focus on him, you begin, like Peter, to sink. Notice that Peter didn't go straight down. Miraculously, he began to sink. No one walks on water and begins to sink. There's a subtle ploy of the enemy to get your eyes off of Jesus and onto just about anything else. And the good is the enemy of the best. Once the enemy's done that, he's got you. Your mind is then totally occupied with whatever it was he fed into it. If what has distracted you is a problem, you begin perhaps to beseech the Lord for a solution. But nothing comes. No response, seemingly, from Him. Relationship is lost. Desperation, maybe even anger, takes its place. And before we know where we are, we have an attitude that's stinking the place out. Sometimes, instead of turning to the Lord and seeking Him, the phone is the first thing that we reach for, and we go to the phone instead of the throne. When we finally come to Him as a last resort, instead of as a first resort, we pour out our problem giving him multiple choices as to how he can answer. And most often, again, he appears silent. We leave disappointed and end up saying, God doesn't answer prayer. Do you think that really is the way he intends your life in Christ to be? We're coming into a time where we are, as people, going to wage war on mediocrity and dullness where we're going to come into the fullness of what God has for us, where we no longer stand on the periphery, on the outside looking in. We're going to be entering into everything Jesus won for us on the cross. We are about to experience the kingdom and the King himself. We're going to learn to walk in his grace and favour on our lives. And today we're going to lay the foundations for that by clearing our airways in order that we may know how to approach him, to pull heaven down to earth because he cannot resist us. We are his bride. He can't say no to us. He loves us to distraction. And he's a God of joy and laughter. God is a God of joy and laughter and he is the most amicable person I know. He's cordial, good-humoured, kind. He's always approachable. He's got a brilliant wink. Always available, never rushed always has as much time for me as I want. And joy of joys, I can have as much of him as I want. Question, how much of him do you want? Putting him first elevates all our other relationships. It does not detract from them. Wherever God is at the centre, there is fullness and richness of life. Wherever he is on the periphery, there is poverty of life and spirit. When he's central in our lives, his love flows from us into all the relationships around us and no one is safe from a blessing. When we live in what he created us to be rather than what the world conforms us to be, we become that which he intended in the first place, living as Graham Cook would say, in our persona rather than our personality. My personality is who I am to my family. My persona is who I am when I stand in his presence. But my personality is enhanced and enriched by my persona, who I am before my Father. As I come into the freedom of being exactly what and who I was created to be, there's a freedom to be all he created me to be. It takes the limits off God and off ourselves and it releases those around us because we're living in that which he created us for and that which he created us to be. It's the good news that the angels proclaim when Jesus was born. It's a place where the citadel of your heart is totally occupied by the goodness, the greatness, the mercy, the kindness, the joy, the happiness, the majesty, the supremacy, the sovereignty of the Lord Jesus Christ. A place where your joy is full, because he is a God of fullness, not measure. His presence is sweet, in it is fullness of joy. He's full of rest and peace, he has no fear, he's full of confidence. His nature is full of stillness and quietness and endless patience. Kindness, gentleness and goodness. Who wouldn't want to spend time with someone like that? It's attainable, beloved, it's your inheritance. Do not be distracted from your journey into the heart of God. When we put him first, as we're commanded to, we receive from him of his fullness. His love for us, that in turn causes us to extend love, grace, mercy and peace into all the relationships that surround our lives. Loving the unlovely becomes easier. Tolerating the intolerable becomes possible and joy is our portion. You know that pleasure is physical, happiness is circumstantial, it depends on what happens, but joy is spiritual. In his presence there is fullness of joy. But it's perfectly possible to have our eyes on the church, the enemy, the problem, the pain, the lack, Ourselves and our own inabilities and what's that got to do with it or any other good thing instead of on the Lord. In a word we are distracted and before we realise it something else happens. We become takers not receivers. Subtly we move from being receivers to being takers. From asking to demanding from receiving to raping drawing something out he doesn't want to give you. Lord, correct her, she's got it wrong. That is a manifestation of self-centred, self-seeking love. It is possible that we can seek God, not for who he is, but to satisfy our own desires. We don't seek him for his own sake, but for us, for me, what's in it, for me. We can approach the whole question of our relationship with God with a gimme mentality because we are so self-absorbed. What's in it for me? Healing, deliverance, health, wealth, happiness, husband. They're all very valid and necessary and require to be pursued, but they must not consume us to the point where we forget what it's all about. Jesus and our relationship with him must be paramount. It's the only thing that's of eternal value. Mary had it right. So what takes place with us when we move from spirit to flesh, from spirit to sensual, from Mary to Martha? Now I worship God for my own improvement, so that I may feel better about myself, not for who he is and who I am to him. I am my beloved's and his desire is towards me, uh, but for what I can get. He's supposed to possess us, but we can find ourselves pursuing him to possess him. I want you to be here for me. Meet my needs so that I can feel more spiritual, better about myself. Get my prayers answered. You aren't. You finished the sentence. This has caused a move in us. We think that God is actually there to serve us and meet our needs. This seeking to get something out of God is actually a highly reformed form of self-centeredness, self-interest, self-seeking and self-gratification and it springs from the old nature I'm using you God to get what I want and here I come with that picture that you all don't like oh. eros serpent it consumes itself it is, eros seeks to acquire possess and control to get what it wants it will manipulate dominate and control you can have one of those, if you like, there. A love that seeks self-satisfaction. Eros doesn't seek to be accepted by its object, but to gain possession of it, or to gain something from it. You see it in marriage all the time. If you really love me, you would fill your own blanket. Am I making myself clear? we become fanatical. And fanaticism is anything we do to increase our intensity when a former experience doesn't yield what it used to. You can see this sometimes in our worship in church. It gets louder and louder and more and more intensified. We're not coming into the presence of God but into the presence of man, the worship leader. And we are endeavouring to get back something we touched before. And we're using fleshly effort to try to work it up. It happens in the charismatic church. Just wind it up, wind it up. What we actually need to do at this point is to go back to receiving instead of taking. To be still and adopt the position of humility. You're God, we're your people. Subtle shift. It's what I was saying. I feel that the lost glory is our inability to love properly. And that is something that we have not automatically received when we become Christians. We are still. In eros, agape has been extended to us, but we have not. Our love, our way of loving, has not changed. It's not an accusation; it's a diagnosis. uh, And I believe in the coming year that God will show us how we can move ourselves from that place into self-sacrificial love rather than self-satisfying love. So what we've been doing with our worship on one thing and another uh, in order to satisfy our spiritual needs is to try to take something from God. And Jesus said, it's the Father's good pleasure to give. The whole issue is one of receiving. So relax and adopt the position. You're going to receive from him. You can't pull something out of him no matter how hard you try. So right now we are entering receiving mode. We're not striving for anything. We're waiting for him to come and touch us. Learning to wait on God's an absolute essential. He initiates. We respond. We are the bride. He's the bridegroom. We are his inheritance, his treasured possession. And he seeks bridal partnership with us. He don't have to twist his arm you are his beloved treasure. So I'm going to ask you if she'd uh, play a Ruth Earl one which is called Here's My Cup. And this is the bridegroom. It's a tradition in Jewish um, betrothal ceremony that the, the bridegroom offers the cup to the bride. And if she accepts it, then they are betrayed. So she takes the cup uh, and drinks. They're engaged. So he's saying to you, here's my cup, you're here, dear Crosby, on there, friends of ours, Crosby and Wilma. And he said to Rufus, I can't sing that. She said, yes, you can. And it's quite low for him, so his voice is quite quiet, but it's really lovely.